0: morning, Pennington. My name is Jerry, and our scripture reading for today is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, reading from the ESV. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie— we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a promise that enters into, enters into the inner place behind the curtain. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Pennington. Good morning, it is a chilly day, Um, but I'm grateful that we're all here together. Uh, My name is Rachel, I get to serve as the worship director here, um, and I have the joy of bringing us um, God's word from Hebrews today. Um, So if you've been with us here at Pennington since the beginning of our Hebrew series, you've noticed, um, like Jerry did for us today beautifully, that we've entered into a practice of reading scripture together before we jump into the sermon. We've also been doing like some punny Bible jokes. I don't do that. I'm not a funny person in that sense. Um, but Pastor Brian will be back next week, and your jokes will be back. So you can look forward to that. Um, we enter into this practice of reading Scripture together because of two things. One, we believe that this isn't just a letter that's written by someone for a group of people. But we believe that it's actually the Word of God that's been breathed out, that it is God's breath and ink on a page. And we do this because when we read Scripture together in community, it helps form our identity as a body of believers and invites us into the way of Jesus together. It reminds us that we're not just doing this walk on our own, but that we are a community together, walking together, living together, and seeking the face of Jesus together. In NJCF, or New Jersey Christian Fellowship at TCNJ, we would say that we do life together. And the practice of scripture helps us do that together. And so, since we're growing and being formed together in community, it means that we need to be vulnerable and honest with each other, right? Uh, So I'm going to let you all in on a little secret. This is not the chapter of Hebrews that I wanted to preach on. I wanted to preach on like Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 7, even, where it's like, Jesus is strong and mighty. He's our great high priest. He goes before us. Um, this is an interesting passage that we're going to be in today. Um, there's going to be some tension in it. Um, and I've had a lot of tension as I've been in the text this week. And I'm really excited for all the ways that Jesus is going to meet us in the book of Hebrews. We're finally going to get around to the Melchizedek thing that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, but I really believe that God has a word for us today. As I've been wrestling with the text, I find myself full of gratitude that our God is not one of just mere coincidence, that I wasn't just assigned this passage, um, but that God is an intentional God. He knew what I needed to be in this week and he met me in that space. Um, And I'm grateful that our God is here to meet us too. And so I trust that as we do some hard work of looking in the mirror of Scripture and seeing what it has to say to us, that we're also going to encounter the grace of God and the truth of the gospel and the hope of the gospel in this text. And so that being said, let me pray for us and invite us into this living and breathing word together. um, Let's pray that it would take root in our hearts and mold us and shape us together as the people of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we invite you here into this space and we ask that you would meet us here. God, you know exactly what we're coming in with today. You know what we're carrying. And Jesus, thank you that you are not a God who is far off, but you are here in this space with us. And so, Spirit of a living God, would you come and meet us? Would you speak to us through your word? I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word today, but that we would be doers. I pray, God, that you would still our anxious hearts, that you would speak your word to us. And I pray, God, that we would know that you are here, willing to meet us, willing to speak to us. And so come, Lord Jesus, do your work among us. We don't need to hear the voice of a person today, but we actually need to hear your voice. So come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we've been hearing over the past few weeks, the book of Hebrews is written by a pastor to a a group of Jewish Christians who are experiencing deep persecution because of the persecution that they're experiencing these Jewish Christians are ready to get rid of the Jesus part of their faith so that life can look a little bit easier now hebrews is a pastor's appeal to them to hold on to Jesus he's saying don't let go of this Jesus and to do that the pastor walks them through Jesus's superiority and how he is greater than angels greater than Moses greater than priests and even sacrifices um, and so this feels a little ancient, right? We're talking about things that don't really happen in front of us now. Um, but why does this ancient letter written to Jewish Christians way back then, why does it matter for us here in 2022? I think whether we want to own up to it or not, we still find ourselves asking and wrestling with the question, wouldn't it just be easier for me if I dropped the Jesus thing? As middle schoolers and high schoolers, maybe dropping the Jesus thing means that you would be accepted as a part of the it crowd or the cool crowd. As college students, dropping the Jesus thing might mean that you might actually have time to do all your academic work, that you would be accepted among your peers. As working professionals, dropping the Jesus thing might mean that it would be easier for you to make your way up the ladder, even if it means crushing those who are under you. as parents, Maybe dropping the Jesus thing would mean that it would be a lot easier to ask, answer all of the hard questions that your kids have to ask you. And if that's not the question that you're asking, if I drop the Jesus thing, is it all gonna be easier and better? Maybe the question that's coming up is: if this Jesus thing is real, why is X, Y, or Z happening in my life? Why is illness taking my loved ones away from me? Why is illness taking over my own body? Why isn't my job working out? Why isn't my financial security secure? Um, Why isn't all of this fitting together if just Jesus is real? Maybe the question that you're asking is, if Jesus is supposed to be so powerful, why do I fall into the same exact sin over and over again? Why do the same destructive patterns over and over again consume me and take control of me? Oftentimes, I find that when I'm asking these questions, it's easy for me to become apathetic. And it feels like I need to take a step away from faith. Um, And this is exactly what this pastor is writing to the Hebrews about. If this was an email, the subject line would be, careful, don't become apostate. See, apostasy is the abandoning of a belief. And for those Jewish Christians, it would mean dropping the Jesus thing or renouncing their faith in Jesus. When I become apathetic, when I lose interest and start to care less, I'm often not far off from abandoning a project altogether. And honestly, I'm not far off from questioning my faith altogether. And so what is this pastor's solution to the problem? He or she encourages, maybe in not the nicest words, their hearers to become mature in the faith. I'm going to be really honest with you. This next verse that we read, when I read it for the first time in my own study, I was like, what does this mean? So here we go together. Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from from dead works and of faith towards God. The NLT actually says it like this. Let us stop going over the basic teaching about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You can think about it like this. I know there are some people in the room who are in construction and know about this a lot better than I do. I don't know anything. But when we lay a foundation for a home, you're not going to lay the foundation 70 times, right? You do it once and you make sure it's a good, strong foundation, that there are no cracks in it, Um, It's not going to break away. And here, what the writer of Hebrews is saying isn't that that like, hey, that salvation thing, that Jesus thing, you can just leave it, do whatever you want with it, and go on to the next thing. No, that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Actually, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, you've laid a good foundation. It's a really, really strong one. It's not going to break. It's not going to crack on you. The foundation that you've laid in the work and the person of Jesus is a good one. So don't keep repouring. Let's trust in this foundation and this work of Jesus. And let's get up and move on into what he's called us to. And then, and then the question comes, right? Like, But what if I fall into the same pattern of sin again? What do I do when I keep doing the thing that I don't want to do? Sometimes we hold our Christian faith in this way, right? Like, we got to keep getting better and better. We've got to keep growing, and if we're not continuing to grow, then we're just we're not doing anything at all, right? But Christian life and living isn't supposed to be linear. It's not supposed to be exponential. I think Christian life and living looks like this, right? It can look like a sine curve. I'm really proud of myself for remembering that, um, right? It can look like that. And it doesn't mean that every time we mess up, every time we sin, we're going right back to the beginning of figuring out who Jesus is, what he's done, what does the cross mean for us, but actually it means we get up and we pick up from where we left off. Because the work that Jesus has done on the cross for us is already done. We've already been welcomed into the family of God. And now we hold ourselves in this truth, right? When we sin, we repent of sin. We come back to Jesus and we pick up and we move on to what our God has called us to. And that's because the foundation is good. You're not gonna crack the foundation. Jesus is that strong. He's that good. He's that faithful. And so we pick up where we left. And so then it begs the question, if we're supposed to mature in the faith, how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves from becoming apathetic or apostate? How do we build on this foundation? This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 12. The writer of Hebrews like actually does this thing. If you grew up in the church, you'll, you might be familiar with this. Have you ever been in a church service where like the pastor or someone will say, Oh, don't do this, this, and this. But you, church, you never do that. I'm talking about this other church somewhere else. Anybody? I grew up with that a lot, and it would annoy me so much. Um, But this is what the writer of Hebrews does. He's like, I'm not talking about you guys. You guys are better than this. Here's what he says. That we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name, in serving the saints as you do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have this, the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patient, who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And so I think the invitation here from the writer of Hebrews actually is for us that we anchor ourselves in the full assurance of hope. But what is our hope in? there's two things that the writer of Hebrews invites us to put our hope in. And I believe that it's one, God's character, and two, God's promise. And so let's let's look at this together. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Now when you're making a promise with someone, right, you're trusting in that individual's character to uphold their end of the promise. Um, I personally would not make a promise with someone who's like, turn their back on me multiple times because I can't trust their character. It wouldn't make sense for me to do that. And my brother, he's a different story. I love him deeply, and so I can trust that in the same way, he's going to love me and care for me and actually uphold his end of the promise. I can trust that the people in my life who have come through again and again, who have shown good character, who have shown their care for me, will uphold their end of the promise when we make a promise together. And so I'm trusting in that person's character. And so here, the writer of Hebrews brings us to this point that when God decided to show the heirs of his promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And that was his own very character the fact that he cannot lie, the fact that he is true and faithful and a good refuge. And so we see that God's character is constant. It is unchangeable. And as the Jewish Christians are hearing these words, they're probably reminded of the words of Psalm 102, where it says, Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hand. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them, but you are always the same. You will live forever. He does not change. And then in James chapter 1, verse 17, it says the internal God is not subject to change, for in God there is no variation or shifting of shadows. And the writer of Hebrews will then remind us later on in chapter 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our God does not change, he is constant, he is the same. And all that he was in the past, he still is now, and he forever will continue to be so that we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So what is his character? Our God is a generous God. He gives generously. He is a God who provides. The same God who provided manna and quail for the people of Israel in the wilderness is the same God who is able to provide for us now in our every need. He is a holy God. He was holy in scripture then and he's still holy now. He is a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mercy that when the Israelites will fall into the same cycles over and over again, choosing other gods over this God that he would be merciful to them, he is the same God who is merciful to us now when we continue in the same cycles over and over again. He is a gracious God. And when our doubt comes crawling, when we want to ask the question of if this Jesus thing was real, if God is powerful, wouldn't it just be easier if I drop the Jesus thing? This is what we hold on to, church. We hold on to the unchangeable character of our God. When sickness comes and when we wonder if God is even able to heal, we trust that our God who healed in scripture then, the one who opened up blind eyes, opened deaf ears, that he is the same God now that he is able to heal. That when anxiety and fear come rushing in, that the God who spoke over the wind and the waves and commanded them to be still, he is the same one who gets to speak into our circumstance now and command the wind and the waves to be still. He was powerful then. He is still powerful now. And he always and forever will be. His character does not change. Who he is and what he is able to do does not change. In verse 18, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. He is a God who keeps his word and is trustworthy. We live in a day and age where over and over again, we find ourselves in places where people do not keep their word. Whether it's a politician who promises us something, whether even it's a close friend who isn't able to keep their world. I don't keep my word sometimes, right? We all fall into it. But our God, he does not change. He keeps his word. And that brings us to the next part of what we get to anchor ourselves in. We hold on and anchor ourselves in the character of God, but also in God's promise. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. If there's anyone who's ever had to wait for a promise to come through, it's Abraham. He waited a very long time. Longer than a lot of us have maybe even been alive. God promises him a son many, many years ago, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. And Abraham goes on for years and years, and his wife is unable to bear a child. They can't have children so far, and there's nothing to be seen. And in the middle of this, Abraham tries to maneuver his own way around it. He takes Hagar, his wife's slave, as a concubine and then thinks later on that Eliezer, this chief servant in his home, would then be the one to be his descendant and make all these things that God has promised to come true. And God says, no, you will have a son through your wife, Sarah. And God keeps his word. It takes a very long time. But God keeps his word and miraculously gives Abraham and Sarah Isaac. And this isn't the only promise that God has kept. It's one that we can look to and see, okay, God God can do interesting things. But this isn't the only promise that he kept. The entirety of the Old Testament declares one promise over and over again, and that is that the Messiah will come first mention of this is in Genesis chapter 3. When God actually curses the serpent in the garden, he says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And this is the first that we see that there's redemption coming. There's something that God is going to do. And it takes thousands and thousands of years we see later that God chooses Abraham, right? The story that we just talked about to bear witness to the nations of the goodness and the wonder of God. Then he chooses, uh, chooses the nation of Israel. He establishes David's throne as to be a kingly throne that the Messiah would come through. And there's prophecy after prophecy foretelling the coming of this Messiah. And then there's 400 years of silence where God doesn't say anything. Anything that like page that's between your Old Testament and New Testament, that's 400 years of silence. We get to flip a page. They sat in 400 years wondering if their Messiah would come. And it's after those 400 long years of silence that the angel of the Lord comes to Zechariah and comes to Mary announcing that the Messiah was actually coming, that God does indeed keep his promises that he keeps his word. And we in the New Testament, we get to live in the fulfillment of the promise the Messiah has come. That was a promise that the people of God held on to with faith and patience. We live on the other side of another promise that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said that he would come back. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you also may be. And the angels, as they talk to the men of Galilee, as they're still looking up into the sky, wondering where Jesus went, this is the promise that the same Jesus will return. In the same way that he has gone up, he will return. Until we wait patiently, it's been 2,000 years. Hopefully he comes soon. Nobody, Nobody wants Jesus to come soon? Okay, that's fine. I'm like eagerly waiting. I would really like him to come back that would be really nice. And we stand on the other end of this promise knowing that our God will keep his word. If he promised that the Messiah would come and he kept his word, we can trust that he will hold on to this too. Hebrews 6 verse 11 says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. I love that I got to grow up with my grandparents around because they showed me what it looked like to hold on to this promise. That as they got older and older, their longing for the king who would come back for them grew stronger and stronger. Their hearts were filled with hope that their God would keep his word, that he would come, and if that wasn't the case, that they would get to be with him for all of eternity. And friends, that's what Jesus invites us to, I think. That we wouldn't, as time goes on, get sluggish and be like, okay, maybe he'll come. That when we actually hear about the promise of our King coming back, our Jesus coming again soon, that our hearts would be filled with hope. Why? Because we're living in the full assurance of hope that our God has laid out for us. Our hope is not a dead hope, it's a living hope. It's not just a song that we sing something that our God has invited us to because our Jesus is living and he will come again. And so if there's ever a time that we've needed to be reminded of the character of God and the promises of God, the place that we can look to is Calvary. This is our foundation. It's a good foundation. It's not gonna waver. It's not gonna shake. Colossians 1 verses 11 to 14 say, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, when we get to this place where we're like, I don't know if I care enough anymore, I don't know what's going on with this Jesus thing, it's easy to drop. This is what we're invited to, we're invited back into our identity and what God has done for us, that he has taken a people who are dead and has made them alive. That he has taken we who were lost in the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is our identity, this is our foundation. And so when I find that I am really susceptible to sin, it's often because I have forgotten the work and the power of the cross. When sin is crouching at the door, and I hear the voice of the Spirit come and remind me of the beauty of the cross, and I still end up choosing my own sin over what Jesus has accomplished for me, it's often because I've forgotten to lift my eyes up to Calvary and to see the beauty and the wonder of this God who has not only shown his character to be true and trustworthy, but has kept his promise in being able to redeem me. And When I come out on the other end of it, and shame and guilt can overwhelm, the invitation is actually to lift my eyes back up to Calvary and to see again the character of our God, to see the hope that he brings us Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7 say this, And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Friends, we build on this firm foundation. We build on what Jesus has done for us. This elementary doctrine, the ABC, we begin to build on it. And we add to it everything that God has brought us through. We add onto it the character of God, the beauty and the wonder of who he is. And we build our lives on this firm and solid foundation. The writer of Hebrews closes out chapter 6 with the verse that we've all grown accustomed to seeing on anchor keychains. So this is Hebrews 6, verses 19 to 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Last week we talked a little bit about the priesthood. We we went through the fact that priests are Mediators between God and man, they would intercede between man and God. They were able to sympathize with us as sinful people because they themselves had their own sin. And they would fall just as we do. And they're also called to the office of priests. And so once a year a priest would go into the tabernacle or into the temple, and they would take on in with them blood, the blood of a lamb having atoned for their own sins, of sins for the people, they walk into the most holy place. And they would go into the presence of this pure and holy God. And this would happen once a year so that the sins of the people would be forgiven. And Jesus, in his death, he goes behind the curtain into the most holy place and he makes atonement with his own blood not for himself, but for us, on our behalf. And this work that Jesus has done for us anchors us in hope. That Jesus has gone ahead of us into the most holy place, that he has made way for us to have access with God, that he has made way for us to have relationship with God. When we look at what the temple structure was back then, no one but the priest could go into the very presence of God. Now because of what Jesus has done, this curtain that stood in the way, Jesus has gone behind the curtain and at his death, this curtain was torn into granting access for us, sinful people, to come before a God who is holy but also merciful. We get to come to him with all that we are. We get to come to him knowing that we will fall. That at times we have questions around is if this Jesus thing is even worth it, if it's worth putting our time and our energy into, wondering if Jesus is even worth following if sickness and sin are overtaking our world and our lives. We get to come to this Jesus before his throne of mercy and say, this is what I'm carrying in. And the God that we serve doesn't kick us out because the questions are bad. He doesn't kick us out because the sin is too much, but actually, he looks at the blood of Jesus that has been shed on our behalf. And he welcomes us back in. And he says, Hey, the blood of Jesus can cover any sin, anything that feels too far gone. His blood is strong and powerful. And he invite, invites us not to go back to the very beginning, but to continue on from where we left off, inviting us to again look at the character of this God, inviting us to look at the promise that he gives us, that he is faithful and true, and we can trust him. I have had um, the joy of being in vocational ministry now for about three and a half years, I guess full-time for a little over a year now, And in the last seven months, there have been a lot of places where I have wanted to drop this Jesus thing or drop the ministry thing. I am a 27-year-old single South Asian female. And all of those descriptors that I just gave you will tell you a little bit about who I am and what I carry with me. Dropping the ministry thing would probably mean that I would be married by now Um, because a lot of South Asian guys don't want to marry women in ministry. Um, It would also mean that I would have met my parents' hopes and expectations of me. I would have probably gone to medical school if I didn't listen to Jesus and do the thing that he called me to do. And I often feel overwhelmed by the pain of these things. There have been a lot of seasons where I've driven home from church or... Uh, being in the office during the day or being on campus, and I'm like, God, I'm so alone. I don't even know if you see me right now, because you're not giving me things that I want, and I feel like I'm stuck in the same thing over and over again. And all I would wanna do is escape from what I was walking into, because going home means my parents are gonna ask me about getting married and all of these things. from a very traditional South Asian home. So I would long to escape, whether it was binge watching, TV shows, reading books, listening to audiobooks, even listening to sermons, as many as I could, just like getting them all in so that I wouldn't have to think about what I was going on. I would ask God over and over again, do you really see me? I would even ask God if I was just a pawn in his hand to do whatever he wanted but then, did he actually care about me or what I was walking through? In the middle of this season also came um, a time of chronic, um, what felt like then chronic illness. Uh, it was my body literally started fighting against me, it became really anemic really quickly. And my, I didn't know what was going on. And I ask God, are you actually the healer that you've said that you are in scripture? Can I trust you in your character? Can I trust who you say that you are? Because I don't see you anywhere right now. And over and over again, God's response has been, I am the God who sees you. These are, God is called by Hagar in Genesis chapter 16 El Roy, you are the God who sees me. God's response has been over and over again that he sees me, that he does not change, that he is the same God. I saw God's hand of healing and sickness, and I'm thankful for that, but that doesn't mean that I still don't question where God is and what I walk through now. When I get questioned by my parents or by the aunties and uncles that really love me, but still ask, like, hey, don't you ever want to get married? Are you just going to keep going like this? Are you sure you want to be in ministry? Say, I don't know. I think this is what God's called me to, so I'm going to say yes now. The invitation has over and over again been to lift up my eyes and look at the hope that there is in Jesus. The hope that we have isn't a dead and ancient hope. It's a hope that we're invited into by a God who entered into our suffering, into our brokenness, and he walks with us there. He doesn't leave us to figure it out on our own. He doesn't leave us to say, you only know your ABCs, so I don't want to deal with you now. But he's actually the God who will point to the words in the book with us. He'll draw us close into a warm embrace and show us what it means to build on the foundation of what he's done. I'm gonna invite us into a time of response. So I just I want to invite us to close our eyes for a quick second. I don't know if what I said made any sense, but I know deep within my soul that there is an invitation for us to look at God's promise and His character this morning. He wants to remind us just how faithful he is. That he hasn't changed, he's constant. So we can anchor ourselves in the hope of the beauty and the wonder that he is. For those of us who are followers of Jesus in this room, I wanna invite us to hold fast to the hope that we have as an anchor for our souls. Hope that is founded in the person of Jesus. He never promised us that this life was going to be easy. That hard things wouldn't come. He never promised that there would be seasons where we don't know what's going on, where sickness would, that that sickness would never come, or anything like that. But we had, he has promised us is himself, his character that is true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I want to invite you to hold fast to this hope. For those of us in the room who are just checking out this Jesus thing, wondering what he's about, this hope is also available to you. You are deeply loved by the God who spoke eternity into motion. And that is the truest thing about you. Jesus has entered behind the curtain and made a way for you to have access to God. And he invites you in. And so, if that's you and you want to enter into this hope, you are welcome here. I'm going to pray for us in a second. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm also going to invite us to stand here in this space as we enter in. So, if you're able, would you stand with me? if you want to respond to what Jesus could be inviting you to this morning I want you to I want to invite you to respond to what God is doing in you internally by entering here into this altar space we're going to have some of our leadership team um, up here to pray with you and our staff if you want prayer um, please come prayer isn't just for those of us who feel like our lives are falling apart Jesus invites us in wherever we're at but you're welcome here in this space if you want to take an external, an external step of what God is doing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are our living hope. Thank you that even when sin feels really easy and we fall over and over again, that you invite us not into carrying our own shame, but actually you invite us into your character. And so, God, I pray that you would fill us with your hope this morning, that we would look to Jesus, the one who has gone in front of us on our behalf and made a way for us to access this beautiful and glorious God. Would you meet us here? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.